Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us again today. Sean Brewster, Bodine Ledin here, back with you on the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us if you're if you're listening, and thanks for watching if you're on YouTube. Um, but today, we're going to talk about neck pain. Now, you and I have both seen a bunch of this stuff clinically over the years, and they do present in lots of different forms. Sometimes it's more acute, sometimes it's more chronic, sometimes it's really debilitating. Um, like, you know, your classic torticollis or right neck presentation, people come in and they think that their neck is broken or out of place, as we often hear them saying, can you put it back in for me? Um, let's dive into neck pain and some of the things we need to consider clinically. Yeah, perfect. This is, you know, you think of your acute neck pain when it's often a Monday morning, someone comes in and said, I, I woke up, and I, I can't move my head. I don't know what's going on. They're really worried. They'll probably say that they've pinched a nerve. Um, and but they're super hyper, hyper vigilant. They don't want to move. They don't want you to touch them. They're quite worried and they're quite anxious about what's going on. It's a, it can be quite a, a scary situation. Um, and I'm sure many of you have ha had patients walk into the clinic exactly like this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I had one uh, just last week. So uh, I think going through the process of, of education, uh, discussing with the patient, ruling out any, any potential serious signs, um, and then moving forward with, with what you would, what treatment might look like over the, the next week, two weeks, three weeks, and so on. Um, and so I think to, to start with, it's important just to, to make sure that we do a thorough history and, and ask some questions around the causes, mechanisms, um, anything that they think that may have contributed to, to their symptoms, any other comorbidities that they've, they've got going on. Um, are they experiencing any um, uh, numbness, weakness, loss of coordination or loss of function in their body? Uh, so we're, we're looking to see, is there any cervical, signs of cervical myelopathy? So compression of that, uh, the spinal cord within the, the spinal canal. Um, are we thinking if there's any signs of radiculopathy or radicular pain? So altered sensory or motor conduction. So it's important to rule out all, all of that sort of stuff. But often what you'll see is these pe people that will come in with that acute neck pain, there's, they've they said, I haven't done anything out of the ordinary, um, but I just woke up like this and now I, I can't move my my head. Um, and so often we're, we're, we're looking to localize those symptoms to see see if it's a particular area, you know, more, more um, sensitivity in cervical spine. Uh, and so just a general movement screen, so seeing where they're most sensitive to, to move into. Um, just general range of movement uh, assessments is, is a nice place to start um, because, you know, you go much beyond that and and it can be really quite uh, irritable for them and it, they can be really anxious towards anyone touching that area. So I think range of motion is a, is a really good place to start. Yeah, great. And look, it's the, the neck is sort of a, a bit of an unusual pain experience isn't it because it's it's right at your head you can't hide from it we we can't help but move our head as we you know walk in and out of a clinic or you know get in our car or wherever we're going it's very hard to hide from neck pain a bit like back pain i guess but 
I think the neck even more in, in a lot of cases, because as we move, we stabilize our head and we don't realize how hard we are working to keep our head in a position stable while we move and then being able to use our eyes comfortably as we move our head around. And so when these things are taken away from us, it become, we become acutely aware of that lack of function or dysfunction. And so when a patient comes in and they've got a right neck or a torticollis uh, and their head's in an awkward position and they want to move out of that position, they, 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 they can't help but be anxious, concerned, worried about it. And they think, well, what if I have a jarring movement and the pain what, what will that mean for me? What, is my neck broken? And people catastrophize this story around the neck pain a lot of the time, as we see with back pain, of course, as well. And so not only do we need to take a very uh, conservative and subtle approach or gentle approach with them in the early stages, we have to do it in a verbal and communicative way as well. It's like, okay, let's, let's have a look at what you can do and what you can't do. And as we do the movement screen, as you point out and you, and you clear out those red flags in your assessment, I think it's really important to explain to the patient along the way nothing serious is going on here, okay? We have a musculoskeletal problem, just like any other bump or lump or sprain or strain that you might've got when you've been moving around. It just happens to be in your neck, just happens to be giving you a fair bit of discomfort, but I don't want you to be worried. Nothing's broken, nothing's out of place. You're not going for scans. You're not going to a surgeon. We're gonna settle this down for you. It's about, we're gonna desensitize, reduce the discomfort for you. And I think you'll find that as we do that, your confidence and your movement will return quite quickly. And that level of, or that style of conversation can go a really long way for an acute neck pain sufferer because once they're no longer fearful that they've done something, you know, and they made a mistake while they were sleeping because they've woken up and that's, what did I do while I was asleep? I had a bad dream or something. Once they realize that nothing bad has happened, they're just in a sensitized state and they relax, then you've actually probably got a better opportunity to being able to help them, to being able to get your hands on them or do some movements or do whatever it might be to have them move away from pain rather than into more of it. Yeah, that's some really good advice there. We've got to de-threaten the situation. You know, in the absence of any serious signs or neurological deficits, those that de-threatening language is so powerful. Um, and in fact, to, just to give you an example of, a, of that patient that I had um, last week, it it, we went exactly through that stuff. We we spoke about what it is, what are the likely contributors, and how this is likely to play out over the next week and over the next fortnight. So when they're in that highly irritable state, we've got to assume that there will be a local inflammatory component. So there'll be some sensitization. But what's the response to that local inflammatory component is often the, the the muscle spasm, the muscle spasm and guarding around that area. Now, even small movements can increase the, the level of sensitivity and the spasm increases as well because it's in this sort of lockdown guard protect, all right? And that's also influenced by the central nervous system. So when they're in this really guarded state, you can imagine the, the the sensitivity that can occur from my fascial point of view as well. And so one of the, the, the important things is just to calm down some of that uh, accessory spasm and, and, um, and, and tension that's caused by the muscles. And, and one of the most simple ways to do that is, is heat. Uh, get them to, to apply a heat pack and that can help to, to modulate some pain reduce some of that protective spasm. So that's one little thing that they can do over the course of the next few days. I think it's then important just to say, look, over the next three to five days, it will be really quite sensitive and really quite uncomfortable. 
because the inflammatory process will last for at least five days. And so while we have those the upregulation of these pro-inflammatory chemicals, there may be this associated spasm as the body goes through its natural healing process. And that's completely normal. Um, so you will have those slight movements when a fly lands on your shoulder and you go to swat the fly and that might hurt, hurt your neck. Or when you go to head check in the car, that might be sensitive. It might be quite uncomfortable when, when you're sleeping. So it's just about for you to find a comfortable position. Don't talk about being in perfect postures or anything like that. Just get a comfortable position. Um, and so we've got to keep in mind that the body does need to go through it, its natural healing process, its natural inflammatory process. And so usually what would happen beyond that, that even five to seven day period is that their range of motion will gradually start to improve, but it'll just get to the point where it just feels stiff. It's far less irritable. It's far less sensitive but it just feels really stiff going to, uh, uh, let's say, rotation or side flexion to, to one side more so than another. And so it's when that stiffness is there, that's when we can do a lot more with manual therapy interventions. But in those first few days, um, it, it, often manual therapy may not be the best course of action. And again, to give you this, this example, all as I did with, with my patient was I asked her to place the uh, hand, if you're not watching, hand on the side of the head and perform an isometric contraction into that side. All right. So for two reasons, one, it can help to, to calm down some of that spasm via reciprocal inhibition, but it can also um, give them a little bit of confidence in contracting and activating muscles around the neck. So that's 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 where we started. Was all as I want you to do. I didn't I didn't place my hands on her. I said, "Can you just place your hand on the side of your head? I want you to push into that side. Don't move your head. Just push into your hand. Hold that for five seconds, and then I want you to put your hand on the other side of your head and push into that side, and hold that for five seconds, and just repeat this side to side. Uh, and then I want you to repeat it from front." to back. So we're looking to just use those neuro neurological mechanisms of reciprocal inhibition to calm down some of that, that spasm. But we know also from, from the literature that, that exercise and muscle contraction is useful in reducing pain. It may have an endogenous opioid effect uh, that's associated with, with um, contraction of muscles. So we can use that as a nice little uh tool for them to use to, to manage, to, to maintain some strength, to reduce some pain without encouraging a heap of movement at that point when it's really sensitive, where they don't really want to do a whole lot of movement because it can cause some pain. So that's a really good place to start. Uh, you know, because if I went in and did a whole lot of mobilization and some soft tissue work, that might be too much that might be cause increased guarding, increased spasm, increased protection. You know when they're already in this hypervigilant and fearful state. Um, so I don't want to add any noxious input. I just want to give them something that they can do to manage the the symptoms themselves in the short term. Yeah, I think there's some really good bits and pieces in there, Bo. Thank you. Good advice. Um, it is kind of counterintuitive, I think, for a lot of people to contract a muscle when they're in acute spasm state. But you're absolutely right. We get that reciprocal inhibition effect. We get an endogenous opioid effect, reducing pain experience in a lot of cases. Um, but it's also a confidence builder to know that they can contract their muscles. They can actually load these tissues. 
And I think you did something else really smart there, which is you got them to use their own hand and generate their own comfortable level of force. Whereas if you placed your hand on the side of the head and said, push into my hand, they'd feel the need to meet your resistance or beat you or something. Say, push into your own hand at a level that you're comfortable with. Now do the other side and do the other side. And eventually, as, as they realize that that's safe to do that, they will push harder. And they'll explore that that barrier for themselves. And I think that self-guided exploration of movement and contraction is really important. And um, coming back to a point you made before about, you know, trying to find positions that are comfortable and ways to move that are comfortable, I'd add one extra layer to that, which would be if you find that you're doing something on a particular day and you're surprised at how much you can move, don't be afraid of that. That's okay. If you're moving more than you think you can one afternoon or tomorrow or tonight, whatever it is, that's okay. Your body's allowing that to happen. Let me re reiterate here. You don't have any neurological signs. There's nothing broken. There's nothing torn. You are safe to move, but there will be peaks and troughs over the coming days when you are more able to move and less able to move. You might find that you wake up a little stiffer. You might find that you're a little stiffer at, at the end of the day, but if there's a period where you feel comfortable and safe, explore that, use that. Don't feel hesitant. Don't be afraid to move. And then when you feel a bit more sensitive, Find those comfortable positions to put yourself in and hang out there because your body is trying to find its way through this, allow it to go when you need to, and then be a little more um, safer when you need to as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's the importance of understanding these timeframes is we're not trying to force something that that's not going to happen because we've got these physiological mechanisms that are occurring or these responses and so yeah using using as a, going back to the isometrics you can that that gives a, them that self-efficacy that can be empowering that they can start to, to manage this themselves they don't need me um, but then just saying when you feel comfortable with that then I want you to take up a little bit more of that range of motion move into where it's a little bit sensitive and then perform that isometric contraction from there so do that a few times and then you'll be able to start to explore this range a little bit more and then as they move into that again we're, we're going to the point where we're bringing on some symptoms but educating them that look we don't need to be afraid of pain pain is there it's just a, it's a bit of a, an alert system but we've got to get you a bit more comfortable with that. And so in that acute time frame, it's about exploring that range of motion and, and decreasing some, some of that protective guarding. Now, as I said, as that inflammatory component settles down and then they'll start to feel a little bit more stiffness, that's when we can use more of a graded exposure. That's when we can start to expose them into positions that are uncomfortable and challenge them into those positions. So saying it's okay to move into that position. I know it's a bit sensitive, but let's just explore that a few times and, and let me know what, what you're noticing there. Um, because often, you know, in the first thought when someone moves into a painful position is, oh, stop, don't do that. Whereas we've got to get that range of motion back. We've got to get you more comfortable with that movement again. So it is okay to move into that. And the same goes for, for manual therapy. That's when some of those techniques might be about getting them more comfortable moving into those positions. You've got more stiffness around that joint. You might gradually increase the, the, the pressure with your joint mobilization, obviously keeping this within, within tolerance. Um, but I think the importance here is, is not to be afraid of pain, educating them that, look, this will be sensitive. Uh, it will last between, 
you know, the the really acute phase, five to seven days or so, um, and then the stiffness probably from seven to 14 days. But it's from that point where we can start to start load up the movement a little bit more, load up the, the manual therapy. Um, so I think just setting those timeframes it for them is important. So they they they're de-threatened. They know that there's there's um, some progression to be had here. Um, but also then with with your follow-ups is knowing that well if it's if that inflammatory component's going to be around that five days. Well, let's not wait a week. I want to see you in about four or five days, um, and so we can follow up, see how you're going, and we can start to progress from there. Then I want to see you in another four or five days so we can start to improve that mobility and decrease that stiffness and, and progress that range of motion rather than sort of setting those seven day time frames, Let's shorten that down a little bit more. It's a good point. It's funny how we, um, you know, we default to the calendar week as a, as a timeline for everything. Let's have a meeting once a week. Let's uh, see you in clinic once a week. Let's, you know, exercise certain times a week. Like who decided that seven days was exactly how all of physiology should work? You know, it's, it's absurd. So, you know, in these more acute, very spasm-based, very inflammatory-based conditions, it can be more useful to have small inputs regularly over a shorter period of time. And then as that progresses, you can step back. So if we took the opposite approach and go, let's see you every seven days, it's a very good chance your ability to help that person is diminished and the recovery time will be slower. Whereas if I see you every three or four days and can make small adjustments, there's going to be potentially three appointments and you're done versus five appointments because you delayed that response that we're trying to achieve or we delayed that response that we're trying to achieve along the way. So that's good advice. Yeah, and just the power of... of what we say, I think, is often underestimated about the therapeutic effect that it can have. And, you know, in fact, in, in this, back to this this particular case, as I said, I didn't touch her at all. I, I got her to perform all of these movements. And then the question was asked, well, should I go to the doctor? And I said, well, I mean, that is entirely up to you. The, the, diff the doctor may prescribe you with some medications, but... Um, you know, understanding that the process of this is is really important. Um, so, yeah, knowing knowing what's serious and what's not, and how these things will will play out is is really important because that's potentially another seventy dollars for a, a ten minute consultation. Um, whereas, you know, if if you've got this good knowledge of of the response of these types of injuries, um, then you can manage this really effectively and, and even avoid the unnecessary use of, of opioid drugs. Yeah, or unnecessary and imaging energy. as well, which is a, yeah. often where you'll end up if you go and see a GP with a musculoskeletal presentation is an x-ray, which won't tell you much at all in this case. So that's a really good point. Um, but there's, there's some really good common sense advice in this conversation I think that we've just had, and it doesn't require a, a detailed understanding of of exercise prescription or manual therapies, it just understands natural course of history when it comes to pathology. And so if you've got a patient or a set of patients coming in with a certain type of presentation that you think, I just don't know what to do with this, say, really just go back to the textbooks, go back to Google, look up that presentation. What is the normal process of progression with that pathology? What are the triggers? How does it present? What's the usual timeline for recovery if you do nothing? Uh, and then, then from there, you can usually very obviously just apply some some common sense and figure out what you what are the small inputs that you can apply with both advice 
physical inputs or movement that can modify that pain experience and move them out of a pro-inflammatory state into a into this, okay, it might be stiff. Now, what can we do from a manual therapy perspective? Okay, well, here's some things I can do. And once we've cleared that, what can we do from a preventative perspective? Why did it happen in the first place? What's some exercise we might be able to advise you on, a movement to advise you on, modif modifications to daily life we can advise you on. And this is really just smart health practice. It doesn't require a thousand different tools in your toolkit. It, it requires you to understand pathology and pathophysiology. Yeah. And just to sort of put this into the context of, you know, we've got an, an acute um, painful neck, compare that to an acute ankle injury. You know, if someone comes in, so I've hurt my neck, I need you to fix it now. So having that understanding that, well, whatever you do, however you poke and prod is not going to fix it. So it's the same with a sprained ankle. If someone sprains their ATFL, there's an inflammatory process. There's a healing process that has to occur. No matter what you do, you are not going to fix it. It, it does need to go through its process. But in the, in the instance of a sprained ankle, you could educate them about this is the, the inflammatory process. This is what's going to go on. This is how you can manage the swelling in the, in the short term. And then this is how it's going to look like over, over a period of weeks. And then the patient understands, oh, okay, fantastic. I, I know that this is going to be, a, you know, a four week minimum. Um, and it's going to get better within that time, but I'm probably not going to get back to running within until four to six weeks. It's no different to, to, to neck pain. Yeah. And I think that we should never underestimate the value of, um, context and understanding around a presentation for, for the patient. Like they come in, in pain, can you fix this for me? Uh, I can't fix it, but your body will. And here's what we can do along the way. And here's why it's hurting. And here's what, how long it will take. And here's, here's, here's. And they walk out going, oh, I understand now. So with understanding comes options. With understanding comes confidence. With understanding comes the ability to move forward with their, with their complaint, even in the face of pain a lot of time. You know, the understanding is really the key that unlocks progression and forward, forward movement. Um, and so really just that basic advice of here's what to expect and why can be enough sometimes. And in fact, probably say most of the time for patients to go, thank you. That's what I needed. Cool. I can move on now. Yep. And then just say, I'm going to check in on you in two days to see how you're going. And then even just that that connection with them, oh, fantastic! Yeah, you know, it is going. I am me. feeling a bit better. I'm I'm a bit less worried about it. Or in the other case, well, it's actually not okay. Great, we need to to see you, or we've got to look at a, a referral, whatever that may look like. Yeah, brilliant, both. Thank you very much for that. That's great. Um, thanks, guys, for listening. I, I I'm sure that there you'll be able to use some of that basic advice on the neck, but apply it to everything. If you've got a patient coming in in an acute inflammatory state with spasm, the same rules apply regardless of where you are in the body. We can't forget that it's it's not different when we get a neck or when we get an ankle or when we get a hip. It's we The body has to go through the same process. We need to respect the process and help where we can. Calm it down, build it up. Calm it down, build it up. Exactly. <laughs> Great advice. Thanks, guys, for listening. Talk to you soon. Yes.